Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning, Balham. Good morning, Westside. My name is Phil. If you haven't met me, I've been part of Vineyard 61 for seven years now. And my gosh, has it dragged. Um, and uh, I have an apology to make up front, just to get things uh, clear in my own conscience. Um, I've got a friend at Westside who he knows who he is right now, who, um, when I said I was preaching on the 5th of November, he asked me to put in as many firework puns as possible. <laughs> Unfortunately, the way the teaching developed didn't really fit the vibe. So unfortunately, I'm not doing that, so I apologize to you. But in spite of that, I hope we go off with a bang. Um, Credit to my friend who I was with last night. I actually couldn't think of many. I was very ashamed at myself. But um, credit to my friend last night for giving me that one. So we are in a series uh, on the Gospel of John, looking at various signs that John wrote about, events and uh, speakings of Jesus, signs of who Jesus was. If you've been with us, if you haven't been with us, we have covered already Jesus, the sign of Jesus turning water into wine. We've covered the story of Jesus healing two separate, very different people. And we have covered the sign of Jesus feeding a crowd of over 5,000 people with just one small lunch. But honestly, what I want to start with this morning is a little, uh, a strange opening, perhaps, a strange opening line. And it is simply this. My heart this morning is that you would not have today distract from any of your responses from the series so far. So let me invite you slightly behind the curtain. Um, I've been preaching for for 10 years now, just after I turned nine. And and I, I used to plan a sermon thinking, how can I get people interested in what I'm going to share? There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But over time, as I've you know, matured as a Christian and, and hopefully slightly as a preacher, my goal has very much changed. And my goal is always now, how can I help my church be formed by God and his word? And the reason this is forefront in my mind as I was preparing uh, for this morning was that we have gone through some amazing signs in the Gospel of John. Talking about what, how they speak so much to the significance of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he will do. And I love preaching, and I'm very grateful that at least some of you appreciate what I do here. But sometimes I have to stop myself and think, what am I doing here? We're looking, as I said, all these wonderful, amazing signs, and we have had some amazing sermons in this series so far. And we've got more to come. But we do them one by one, and we're going to get to the end, and then Christmas is upon us. But each of these has such life-changing power, if we're willing to stop and sit there. So this is what I want to start with this morning, is if there is a sermon you've heard, or a sign that you've heard taught about that has resonated with you, that something has put a seed in you, a nudge in you, a thought in you, then please don't let this morning me knock that out of your mind or your heart. 
This is not about listening to what I prepared this morning, but my desire is that you would listen to God and how he is speaking to you in this series, even more so when we're so focused on Jesus the King. Does that make sense? Are you with me, Balaam? Are you with me, Westside? So I do have content, uh, an act of worship to lead us through this morning. So if you would like to join with me to look at this next sign in John's Gospel, if you're willing and able, open your Bible or your Bible app to John chapter 6. And we are going to read together John 6 verses 16 to 21. Uh, It will be on the screen as we find it in Scripture in the ESV version. But I'm also going to open it. I'm going to read it slightly differently in more of a meditative way. Um, I'm going to be reading it basically with with Jesus. This is something I do a lot. I'm going to come back to this towards the end. Because I just want to affirm this is not about something that happened. This is about someone who's in the room right now. So you're very welcome to read it straight from the screen as we find it in Scripture. But if you'd like to close your eyes, um, I'm just going to read these verses out um, in a prayerful manner. When evening came, your disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat. And they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and you had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because there was a strong wind blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw you walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But you said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And they were glad to take you into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Amen. So let's open this text together. And the first thing I'm going to observe is there's two quite strange things about what John does in this story. And the first strange thing is this. We have already gone past the passage I just read in this sermon series. Um, Two weeks ago, we had prought, and prought is not a real word, but we should bring it back into the dictionary. We had prought the meaning of Jesus' feeding of the crowd. Um, of over 5,000 people. Um, And you can see on the screen that this chapter 6, it starts with that feeding story. You there with, um, yeah, 15 verses. Then you get what I've just read, a small six verses. And then we come on to 48 verses of Jesus talking to the crowd and his disciples about the feeding sign. So there's something quite strange, quite curious here, that John has included this, but actually it's kind of swallowed up within this larger narrative. So that's the first slightly strange thing that we're going to unpack a little bit. And the second strange thing to point out um, is the story is very brief. Now, uh, a few people, when they knew I was preaching on this passage, were saying, oh, I love that story. And honestly, I have to say, which one? And they'd say, oh, I love the one where Peter walks on the water. Sorry to disappoint you. John doesn't talk about that. And yeah, this is the thing, John's version of this story, which as I said, we find in two other Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew, you can find it in Mark 6, which is probably the version that was first written down, or the account that was first written down. Find it also in Matthew 14, probably the second version was written down, um, and John was probably, sort of chronologically speaking, the third version was written down. And you can see, the detail is very different in each one. 
In both of the other accounts, that is in Mark and Matthew, the storm that is referenced is very explicitly calmed. But actually, John doesn't really actually talk about Jesus calming the storm, which is interesting. And as I mentioned, in Matthew's account, which is the longest account, you've got this whole episode of Peter getting out of the boat for a short time walking to Jesus in faith on the water before he sinks and Jesus catches him. But this doesn't get a single look in in John's account of this event. These are very strange details. And I'm not trying to say these details didn't happen. These accounts are in no way contrasting or contradicting. But I do want to show you this question that's been grappling, I've been grappling with as I've prepared this uh, sermon and this message for us, which is the question of what's John doing here? Why is he trying, what's he trying to emphasize? As we said, this sermon is all about John's very purposeful intention to have signs to Jesus. He's doing something particular here. And honestly, this is the best I've got to, and this is the line I'm going to go down this morning, is because G- John, sorry, John wants to keep our focus on Jesus and nothing else. There are true and good sermons on Jesus calming the storm. There are good sermons on getting out of the boat in faith and power of Jesus to follow him in things we can't do. And I want to affirm those. But my focus today, I think I want it to be what I think John might be doing here is to say, don't think about you for a moment. Look at me. So let's explore that. And particularly, let's explore this sign of Jesus walking on water. So what I'm going to do, I want to offer you a few things. One, I'm going to do a theological framing. Uh, I'm going to do a psychological framing. Um, I'm then going to try and imprint something on your brain in the way that I love to do. Uh, And then I'm going to offer you, um, towards the end, a way you can take some of this away um, if you've been challenged by this. Now, um, theologically, let's start there. So simply put, there's, a, there's a, a range of good ways of, of reading the Bible to try and make sense of the Bible. And fair warning, on the next screen, I've written quite a technical theological formula. So you may not be able to follow it, but I'm going to hope I'm going to explain it. So if we can put that formula on the screen. <laughs> stuff involving water equals stuff that has significance. So whenever you're reading the Bible in your own time, and there's a variety underneath, underneath this sentence, it's not always the same significance. If anything is evolving water, it's a sign to pay attention. There's something going on symbolically, theologically, Christologically, something is going on. And those BDI among you have spotted this story today involves water <laughs> underneath Jesus' feet, to be precise. Um, And to use the helpful Bible project language, for those who know that ministry, there are two very, very clear theological hyperlinks that is going on here, both in the account, but obviously I think particularly John's version of this account, to two very big stories, important stories in the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. And they're not just any two theological stories. They are probably, well, they are, in fact, the two most foundational and significant stories about the revelation of Yahweh, the Christian God, to his people and to us. So the first one, um, if you want to turn with me briefly to the Song of Creation, which is a book of Genesis. And I'm going to read briefly. Uh, we're going to read it together in a moment. Uh, Genesis 1, 1 to 2, otherwise known as the first two verses of the entire biblical narrative. So it should be on the screen. Um, and yeah, let's read it all together. If you're with me in Westside, read it as I read it here in Balaam. Read it as I read it as well. And it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and void, and the darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Do I need to say much more? Sometimes in the Bible there's a subtle illusion that you may need a bit of back knowledge to see the replication of and sometimes it outright slaps you in the face in the best possible way. The helpful detail you might uh, not know and be helpful to know is in the biblical imagination, water is often the symbol of uncreation. It's like the symbol of chaos, of before God's good order came in. So Jesus, in the first instance, walking on water, hovering, I dare say, is a powerful statement of creation authority, it is a declaration of his identity as the same creator God who created the world as accounted in Genesis 1. So that's the first huge theological fish to the face. The second one, <laughs> equally big, also involves water. This is the parting of the sea during the Exodus event, the liberation of the Jewish people from Egypt. And in fact, this is probably the biggest precursor. It's huge in the Jewish imagination, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, um, to speak to the salvation and kingdom-restoring power of God. And where, in fact, did this walking on water sign take place? Where did it in the narrative take place? I've already mentioned it. It takes place right in the middle of another sign of Jesus, of the feeding of 5,000 plus people and the aligning of himself as the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. The referencing of the food and the provision of the Jewish people where in and after the Exodus. And not only that, but chronologically, the point in the year that this event happened which, to slightly cheat, and it comes in in other versions of this story, is it happens in the lead-up to the Passover, the Passover being the most significant Jewish festival celebrating what? The Exodus event. So Tom Wright, a biblical scholar, an all-round nice chap, if you've heard him speak, puts it really powerfully like this. He says, John has already made it clear in chapter 6, well, that chapter 6 is to be all about the Exodus. So when we have this scene of Jesus walking on water, we should be prepared to understand it as part of the very same story. So those two are the theological statement, the theological, as I said, slap in your face in the best possible way of Jesus stating this is his identity. This is my identity is the author of creation and the author of the Exodus event. So if that's the theological, what then is the psychological? And indeed, why psychological? Why, why have I gone down this road for us this morning? And honestly, it's because as I was reflecting on this and reading it over the last few weeks, I was just really struck particularly, again, in the simplicity of John's account of this, the inclusion that the disciples, when they saw Jesus, were frightened, or some translations have it terrified or afraid. And you can see from the grammar, if you look again at your Bibles, um, it's not the storm that they are frightened and terrified by. It is seeing Jesus walk on water. And honestly, I've been walking around with a kind of holy knot in my stomach, wondering if the fact that Jesus walking on water gets enough of a response. 
from me. Because scripture is full of people encountering Jesus or something new about God and reacting really powerfully and intensely. I want to show you a quick sample on the screen. In the book of Daniel, uh, in chapter 8, um, Daniel is a very brief uh, backstory on Daniel. If like, He had a gift of very powerful prophetic visions from God about the future. And after one of those prophetic visions, that like revelation of something about God, he writes this in clearly an autobiographical way. He says, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about my job. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Equally, Mary, when the angel appeared to her and said she would conceive of the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Savior, Jesus, it says Mary was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. Again, we talked about this last week, but in, when Jesus feeds the 5,000 in this chapter, the crowd actually responds to that in the first instance, saying, surely this is the promised Messiah who has come into the world. And then they say, it says they intended to come and make him king by force. And last but not least, uh, in a different account of a calming of the storm, Jesus is in the boat and he calms the storm. And the response of the disciples is that they were amazed. And they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So my point is not to explain the context of those reactions. And hopefully you can see I'm not saying those are all like the ideal reaction to Jesus. But my point is that they are all big responses. They are emotional. They are sometimes rational. They are behavioral. And they're all responses people had from seeing something or beginning to see something that just didn't make sense to them. So what I want to offer you this morning is the same holy burden that I have received from this sign, but also the signs throughout this series. Have we lost sight of the majesty and the otherness of Jesus? Have we accidentally domesticated him? In the legitimate busyness of life, potentially with young children, Have we lost the wonder that he offers us? And I think the most convicting for me anyway is if we saw Jesus walking on water tomorrow, would we be too tired to just just shrug it off? Or would we be refreshed with a life-giving, reverent awe? There is so much more peace, joy, challenge, and comfort in this sign and all these signs than many of us realize or have realized so far. Let me spin this slightly uh, in a different way um, with a a quote from um, academic Lucy Pepiat in her excellent book called The Disciple, which I read recently. And she opens it by just talking about when we're thinking about our disciples discipleship to Jesus to remember exactly who he is and she writes this again speaking in the context of the book of John but particularly John 1 here she says when John used the Greek word logos which he uses to describe Jesus in John 1 where he says talks about Jesus being the word John is using a word that's already known by those around him in the early Jewish and Greek right Jewish and Greek writings, Logos was an incredibly powerful and creative force in the universe. 
And she says, we today have to work at capturing the full meaning of the idea that Jesus is a word made flesh, God the Son become man. I wonder, Balaam, I wonder, Westside, is there a thought? Is there a prompting? Is there an affirmation? Is there a pruning from the Spirit as you hear these words? So let me try and land this in your brains (laughs) with just two words. And honestly... It's a very strange sermon for me to prepare because I had these two words from the start and I knew this was going to be my sort of pinpoint, if you like, and I basically built a whole sermon around it. So if you forget everything else, here's your two words, okay? Now, technology means um, I'm going to have some super help from, from our AV because uh, we have to do this manually. We're going to go back to the uh, 1960s and do a flick book approach to animation. And we've this morning been talking about Jesus walking on water. So if you look at the screen, here's two words I want to show you and offer you today. Jesus, wow. Jesus, wow. I'm going to invite the bands up at Westside and at Balaam as we transition to a, a time to respond more than we already are in the moment. But I'm going to finish this with um, a, a bit of a prayer practice, something you might want to take away. I was talking to a friend, um, giving him some pastoral counsel a while ago, and he just said to me very honestly, he said, I don't know if I know what it means to have a relationship with God. And that's really stayed with me. And I think it's very easy for someone um, in my situation to, to call us to something like this. And I did want to say actually to all, all the leaders listening to this is that I think it's easy for us to assume that everyone knows what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're not a Christian here and that's you know, exactly where you're at right now. You don't even particularly look for a relationship with Jesus. But maybe you're a Christian here and you're not even sure exactly what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. And if either of those are you today, I want to offer you something which I actually opened the sermon with and it has made a huge difference in how I read the Gospels. And I want to offer you this, that if you want to be wowed by Jesus or just explore Jesus, if you're at the exploration stage, and I would just say, if you're keen, just in terms of how you read the Bible, just read nothing but the Gospels for a month. Don't read it to understand, not necessarily with a commentary. I'm really pro-commentaries, but just read Jesus. Just be like, what the heck? Or like, that's incredible. Or like, what's going on? And if you're a Christian, I'd invite you to go one step further and do what I did at the start of this. Every time it says, Jesus said, Read it with Jesus and said, Jesus, you said. Every time it says Jesus went, read it with Jesus and pray to yourself, Jesus, you went. It's not a magic formula. But what it is, is a really powerful shift in intention of yourself. That you're not trying to read about Jesus, 
But you want to be with Jesus and you want to somehow build what we call a relationship with him. I can't promise you what's going to happen, but I can trust that Jesus will respond to the desire that you show. And one of the reasons I deeply trust that is even the end of our passage today on John's account of what he does include about Jesus walking on water. Jesus doesn't get in the boat or come close to him and explain in that moment the theological significance, even as I have tried to do this morning. He just responds with gentleness and love. He says, don't be afraid. It's me. So I'm going to close just by helping us put this into practice. I'm actually going to do this from one of Paul's letters, Paul's letters to the Colossian church. In chapter one, it will be on the screen if you want to pray it through with me. And as we pray it through, just remember those two words. Jesus, wow. Jesus, you are the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in you, all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through you and for you. You are before all things and in you all things hold together. And you, Jesus, are the head of the body, us, the church, right now. You are the beginning, the firstborn among the dead. So that in you, everything you have, the supremacy. For God, your Father, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in you. And through you, to reconcile yourself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through your blood shed on the cross. Jesus, wow. Hand back to the site leaders and the bands to lead us forward. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.